morning. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a break from the book of John because of Mother's Day, but we are back to the book of John. We're in chapter 5. So if you're here and you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We've got ushers that will bring you a Bible. If you do not have a Bible, this one's yours to keep. You could take this one home and put your name in it. It's yours. If you do, just go ahead and put it on our welcome table on the way uh, back. But I just wanted to give a little recap because it's been a little bit since we've been in the book of John. Um, well, that's not necessarily true. It's been a little bit since we've been in the early chapters of John. In, during Lent, we jumped all the way to chapter 18. We've spent 20 weeks so far. So those of you who've been counting, you're like, wow, 20 weeks in the book of John? There's about 20 more weeks. There's a lot of, of the book of John to come. But it's one of these just extremely powerful books. I, I taught right in the very first week that the book of John is almost like you need a, a set of chopsticks to read it. You, you need, without the chopsticks, you, you can't just eat Chinese food with one chopstick. Try and eat your noodles with one chopstick. It doesn't work. You know, like my kids, they just stab the, uh, they stab the food with a chopstick. You need two chopsticks in order to eat. There's two separate layers of information happening in the book of John. You need to understand both in order to consume it. There's what's really happening, and then there's this under-the-surface the stuff. John is just this magnificent, brilliant writer that wants us to see Jesus the way that he saw Jesus. So it starts with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, John, right in the very beginning, wants you to get that this whole book, this whole gospel, this whole story is about God sending his Son to recreate. In the very first act of the world, there was this act of creation, in the beginning, God. And now in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and that's Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning. So there's all these references to the Garden of Eden and, and how Jesus is redeeming that garden because sin came through that garden. And, and, and there's all these references now where Jesus is redeeming that, recreating that, and, and, and creating in this new creation for you to be a part of, for you to live in. There's all these signs in the book of John. We've seen a couple of them so far. There was a sign of the wedding at Cana. That was all about abundant grace. Jesus turns water into wine. And it was all about... <clears throat> Excuse me, I got this lingering cough. It's all about this abundant grace that, that comes through faith in Jesus. And then the next sign where, where, where Jesus goes and heals. Pastor Earl taught about this when we had a little healing service a few weeks ago. Where Jesus heals the official son from a distance. It's this almost prayerful thing, like prayer works. Being in communion and conversation with God works. And there's this other interesting thing that brings us to today, chapter 5. And, and we're going to get to it too, but it has to do with water. So just humor me. Go to chapter 5 real fast. We're going to just read verses 1 through 17, and then we're going to dig through them a little bit together. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there's a, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here are a great number here a great number of disabled people usually lie the blind the lame the paralyzed one who was had been there an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in condition for a long time he asked him do you want to get well sir the invalid replied i have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while i am trying to get in someone else goes in ahead of me then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
At once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well, I'm sorry, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple again See, and, and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to him, my father is always at work, at his work. To this very day, I too am working. For this reason, they tried to kill him all the more. So there's two big things that are going on in this story. One is the healing, that Jesus healed this man, been crippled for 38 years, and he, and he heals him. And the other one is this whole conversation about the Sabbath and, and what's going on with that. So we're going to take these in two separate parts. First, we're going to talk about the healing. One of the things that's interesting in the book of John, and, and this will help us remember what's been going on, is that John uses water a lot. In fact, in the first seven chapters, water is mentioned a ton of times. I didn't actually count them, but a lot of times. The whole all the way through, water is mentioned, and it's used for different things. So if we go to chapter 1, we see that John says, I come baptizing with water, but Jesus comes with the Spirit. Chapter 2, Jesus transforms water into wine. Chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born of water and spirit. Chapter 4, Jesus claims that he is the living water in comparison with this woman's well, that he actually has something called living water. And now in chapter 5, this guy wants to get into the water to be healed. Now if you go back to chapter 4, the woman wanted a drink of living water, and there's almost the same distinction happening here, but it's a little bit harder to see unless somebody points it out. So let me point this out. See, this woman wanted, Jesus said, I have living water, and she said, give me that living water. I want that. That's something I need. Now, in the Jewish mind, in the first century mind, any water that was moving or stirred was called living water. So this man in, in Bethsaida, the, at the pool of Bethsaida, wants to get into the water when it's stirred. In other words, when it's living water. He realizes that he needs to get to the living water to be healed. Now this wasn't a Jewish thing. This was probably a pagan tradition that was surrounding Jerusalem. And it was all over the ancient world. And it was probably not something that the Jews liked, the, this whole healing pool idea. It was probably more of like a, you know, something that was on the periphery. They didn't really like it much. But this man wanted to get into the living water because he believed that he would be healed. And yet Jesus, who was the living water, stood there and said, pick up your mat and be healed. See, the, the distinction that John is trying to make with water is this whole idea between the physical and the spiritual. And we see this all through the early chapters of John, this physical distinction versus the spiritual distinction. We always tend to look for physical answers to our problems. I mean, that's what this man was doing, right? He needed to get in the water. He needed to do something physically 
in order to be saved, in order to be healed, in order to feel right again. So we always tend to look for physical answers to spiritual problems. We also look for physical answers to physical problems. If you don't believe me, then the last time you were sad, when did you shop? Right? I mean, if you don't believe me, when the last time you were upset about something, you spend 45 minutes on Amazon? I mean, did you go cruise through, uh, through Ross? Or, I mean, what? so many times we look for physical answers to our problems. And we try and fix it ourselves. And we try and do that. And that's what this man was doing. That's exactly what he was doing. He's looking for a physical answer. And all through the Gospel of John, we see this discourse between the physical and the spiritual. Always searching for the physical, but when Jesus is right there and can offer something completely different. So we have these issues all the time. They pop up. And I've told this story before, but a number of years ago, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was on a bike trip to San Diego, and, and we ended up with a couple of kids. We ended up on the 5 freeway. <coughs> Not a great spot to end up, but Camp Pendleton happened to be closed, and it was unexpected. We didn't know. In fact, when we had checked, every, all systems were go, and we got down there, and uh, it turns out that Dick Cheney gave a surprise visit to Camp Pendleton, and that tells you about the time period we were in. He was the vice president then. And so we ended up on the 5 freeway with a group of kids going through the Camp Pendleton area. And I'm thinking about what my former senior pastor, what Gordon would say about the liability. And, you know, like, what are insur- if something happened, like, would insurance actually cover it? Or would the whole church be sued and we'd be gone tomorrow? You know, I, I had these questions floating through my head on the side of the 5 freeway. And I was scared. Because trucks were passing us at like 100 trillion miles an hour. And, and when a big bus or big truck passes you, this gust comes and feels like going to knock you off your bike. Well, anyways, I'm on the freeway. And I'm literally freaking out. I'm with my friend Joe. He's spoken here before, Pastor Joe Halbert. And we get to this rest stop. And I go, Joe, you need to do something, man. You're in charge. Call somebody. You need to do this. You need to do that. And he goes, let's pray. And I was like, are you kidding me? Call a taxi. You don't need, we don't need to pray. We can just call a taxi. That's easy. And he goes, oh, let's just pray. And I'm upset because I've got a youth kid here, and I am scared, okay, about not just are we going to make it off, but once we do make it off this, am I going to get killed by my former pastor? He loved me to death, but I just thought if I told him this story, maybe I'll die. <laughs> so Joe goes, no, 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 we just need to pray. So we, we start to pray. We open our eyes after praying, and no sooner do we open our eyes than a youth with a mission van just pull up right there. Youth with a mission is a, is a Christian missions organization that does a lot of trips down to Mexico, and they got these really handy 15-passenger vans. And they just happened to have the seats out because they were picking up a small group of kids, and they needed room for luggage. And we just walked up to him and said, where, where are you going? He goes, oh, I'm going down to Mexico. He said, we're kind of stuck. He goes, yeah, I, I noticed that. What are you doing with bikes on the side of the freeway? Are you crazy? We're like, yeah, we, we're crazy. But see, I was preoccupied with searching for physical answers. I had them all supplied. I was just, all right, we're going to call this. All churches by us. I'm sure there's another church by us. They'll, they'll help us out. Churches have vans. We can call them. We can call the taxi. We, if Uber was around, I would have had Uber faster than we could have prayed, honestly. <laughs> I, I had 
all these answers provided. Like literally, I, I could have gotten us out of there. But Joe goes, we just need to pray. But God did something that none of us could have ever expected. And he showed up and solved our problem in a completely different way. And so many times, like this, this crippled man who is laying by this pool for 38 years, just waiting to get into the, he sees the answer. The answer is that. The answer is that pool of water. If I could just get to the answer, he's so preoccupied on what he thinks the answer is, he's never allowed God to provide him a different answer. Aren't we there sometimes? I think we're there sometimes. I think we're there a lot of times. We're so preoccupied, and what we think the right thing to do is we don't have enough time. We don't allow the space to pray. We don't allow to say, God, what do you want to do in this situation with my life? Because the physical things sometimes can be so pressing. I'm sure for that man being crippled and laying down on a mat his whole life, the sores, the pain, the eating scraps, the, the loss of dignity, that, that was so loud in his head, it might not have allowed him to pray. It might not have allowed him to search the spiritual answer. But all through the book of John, we see this sort of play between the physical and the spiritual. Are you going to go for a physical answer, like that, what you think is living water, or are you going to go for the real living water, which is me? What are you going to go for? And I think that's, that, that's the same choice we have in our lives all the time. Are you going to just go for the physical answer? And then it says something really fun, and that theologians have been debating, and I, I want to talk about this for a second, because I just want to say that I don't necessarily have the greatest answer on this because as I lay my books out on my table and I do my study pretty diligently each week on this, I find that every now and then the authors of the different books are having this great battle on my, on my desk and they're having this great fight and you don't know which one of them to go with. And, and, and so <laughs> it, there's this text or this thing that Jesus said to him. When Jesus finds him later, he says, see that you are well again. Stop sinning or else something worse may happen to you. And I could talk about this for like an hour. But essentially, later on down the road in chapter 8, there's this guy who was born blind, and, and his disciples said, who sinned? That his parents or him, that he's this way? And Jesus said, neither of them. Sin doesn't cause this. He was born this way so that I could show my glory, so the glory of God could be revealed to you. And now Jesus is over here telling this guy, stop sinning, or else you're going to get sick again. And you're like, man, which one is it? Right? So in the book of John, here's where I landed. And I just want to tell you, feel free to disagree with me on this. But here's where I landed. In the book of John, the word sin is used to describe a loftier idea. And that's not the actual, like, if you break down the Ten Commandments and say, okay, don't steal, don't give false testimony, sexual morality, all that stuff. It's not used in those, those regards. It's used to either have a relationship with God or not. If you had a relationship with God, you weren't a sinner. If you didn't have a relationship with God, you were a sinner. That's what sin was used for. And so there's a few commentators who've said when, what Jesus is essentially doing here is he brought him out of these pagan healing temples, showing that Jesus himself is greater than these sanctuaries, that he is the greater sanctuary, and now saying, have a relationship with me now. Have a relationship with your Lord now, because now they're in the real temple. They're in the real temple that um, that surrounds Jewish life. And he says, now stop sinning. Have a relationship with the living God, or else something worse might happen to you. And I think that's probably what was going on 
in this verse. So if you use this verse and you're doing hospital visits and you're like, stop sinning or else maybe your other leg will be broken. I mean, don't do that. (laughs) That is not the application of this verse. That's what I said to Lucy when she broke her arm. I was like, stop sinning. But daddy, I'm joking. And so the next idea here is the Sabbath because there's two things at play here. One, this guy's crippled for 38 years and then he's healed and then all of a sudden like, wait a second, you're breaking the rules. Oh, I don't care if you were laying down on your back for 38 years. You are breaking the rules. That's what happened here, right? I think the next thing is meant to be funny. I I think the breaking of the Sabbath rules, there's so much just ridiculousness in it that I think it's meant to be funny. Because after this man for 38 years was disabled, laying on the ground, trying to get in this pool, he would have been known. 38 years is a lifetime in the first century world. It is longer than a lifetime in many places. The lifespan in some places was not even 38 years. So this man was laying there for a long, stinking time, and he gets up and he carries his mat, and the first thing they say to him is, you're breaking the law. It's where that song came from, breaking the law. I'm joking. It's it's not, but I like to have fun. Anyways, (coughs) excuse me, they missed the point. There's something bigger here that's happening than breaking the law. And I want to talk about this for a second because it's really two areas that the law is broken. One, this man's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and two, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. So there's two things that the the religious elites are concerned with at this time. So from the very beginning of creation, it was known that God rested on the seventh day. It was just known. It was something that you ought to do. And then when God gave the Ten Commandments a little bit later down the line, he gave the rules. He gave this in the fourth commandment. It's Exodus 20. It'll be up on the screen. Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male, nor female servant, your animals, or any foreigners residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So after God gave the Ten Commandments, after it said, just don't do any work, the Jewish teachers of the law sat down and said, what do you think God means by work? Right? And so they took this word work, and and they came up with 39 different areas of work that that are forbidden to do on the Sabbath. They, They rightfully, I think, deduced, okay, work on the temple So we're going to come up with these 39 areas. Now, slowly, over time, those 39 areas begin to have an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, P subpoint to them. So the areas of work became so all-encompassing. Here's what they did. It's like, okay, here, right here is the law, the Sabbath. Don't break the Sabbath. What we're going to do so that people don't get even close to the law is we're going to build a fence around the law. And, and they, they got to get through the fence in order to break the law. And, and we're going to build this fence up right here so they can't even get close to it. We tend to do this with our lives sometimes. But that's what the Jewish religious leaders did. And so did Jesus break the Sabbath? Absolutely not. He broke the rabbinical rules about the Sabbath. But did he break the Sabbath? No way. Not, not at all. <coughs> Excuse me. So now in the just so you know what some of these um, rules are, the, the guy got in trouble for carrying his mat. Well, one of the 
things that you would have to do on, uh, in order to build the tabernacle was to carry wood from place to place. It was actually the 39th rule. And so this guy was in trouble because he broke that rule. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That apparently violated some other rule. But my point here with breaking the rules, breaking the Sabbath, and all these sub-rules and things like that is, is this. Is that as humans, we tend to make up our own religious rules. Right? But what really matters is what God says. We tend to make up our own little things. And, and it doesn't even, we can take a hard look at ourselves. We're part of the Wesleyan Church. Um, in my opinion, great tradition, great church. Uh, very true to the Bible, but there's been times where we've made rules that, that probably just aren't the healthiest. When I was a kid, I went to a Nazarene church, and, and there was no dancing allowed. Anybody remember those times? No dancing? Still? All right. That's more like a jogging place, but... Oh, I know. There we go. That's a dance. Well, and, and the idea behind it was, was good. And honestly, if you go to some high schools right now, you know probably you shouldn't let your kids go dance in those schools. It gets crazy in there. Here's my point. It doesn't make holiness to say, don't do this, don't do that. Holiness is being set apart for the Lord. Holiness is saying, I love Jesus so much that I would never do that. But what, one of the things that we've done as a church body, and we don't necessarily do this anymore, is we say, okay, sexual immorality is the law there. We don't want anybody to commit sexual immorality, so no, no dancing. We're going to watch what you, you wear. And it's still important to, to be modest and, and to care about this sort of stuff. I'm not trying to knock it at all, but pretty soon you, be so, you become so concerned with the fences that you're building that you forget about the law. One of the jokes we used to make in high school was, don't have sex, it might lead to dancing. <laughs> right? Because... Because the whole barrier about dancing was meant to protect you from, from premarital sex. But we had this joke because everybody focused on dancing so much that we just thought it was funny to say, oh yeah, don't have sex, you might, you might, it might lead to dancing. Just as a joke, because we care more about the fences and the barriers that we put up and the walls that we build rather than what the Bible actually says. Now, of course, we think that you've you got to flee from sexual morality and, and stay away from sexual morality. Of course that's important. But we want to be careful not to miss the point by protecting the different areas of religion that we build and look at what God is doing and look at what the scriptures say. And that's the exact thing that was happening with the Sabbath. The religious rulers cared more about the laws that they made than what the Sabbath was actually intended for. This great gift to give you rest. Almost as a glimpse of what it's going to be like in eternity with God. Because all through the New Testament, what is eternity, eternity described as? The great rest with God. Rest in eternity. That word rest is used over and over and over again. And is it restful when you have to go, oh man, okay, I can't carry this. I can't kindle a fire. I can't do this. Okay, I've got to prepare everything in advance so I don't mess with this. No, it becomes a burden. And that's what was going on. And so Jesus just broke down those walls and said, this is not what religion is. This, what you're making is not what it is. These are a bunch of man-made rules that you've invented. What really matters is that you rest and have relationship with me. That's really what matters. And then Jesus says this in verse 16 and 17. And, and, and I love this. He says, 
So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, I and I too am working. Now, the, the Jews made this observation that God doesn't totally rest because people still are born on the Sabbath, people still die on the Sabbath, and the rain still comes on the Sabbath. So people don't totally rest on the Sabbath. And so what Jesus did was something extremely bold. He said, let me use your argument that God is always at work. People are still born. People still die. God is still working. I, too, am working. And what did that just do? Put him on a collision course with the religious elite because he just said, I'm that guy. I am always at work, too. I am the Messiah. He's essentially saying exactly who he is, putting him on a collision course with these religious elite, which we've already talked about, by the way, because we've already seen the death and resurrection in the book of John. And we're going to look at this a lot more because the next section is all about the authority of the Son. It's all about Jesus being God. Next week, we're going to look at this a lot more. But there's an interesting thing that's, that's part of this scripture. Jesus intentionally broke man-made rules. Jesus intentionally broke man-made rules. And when these rules are totally wrong, we just know that there's something right about that, right? So when Susan B. Anthony was arrested for illegally voting in 1872 to protest her disenfranchisement as a woman to vote, we just know there's something right about that, don't we? I mean, I know. Maybe you don't know. I know. That there was something right about Susan B. Anthony illegally voting. That was, she should have done that. And, and we just know that when Martin Luther King intentionally sat at a lunch counter that he was not supposed to sit in, we just know that those rules were immoral and wrong. And, and we know that that was the right thing for him to do. And, and we just know that when Rosa Parks was sitting on the front bus seat and she refused to give up her seat because another person was white and she was arrested for that and persecuted for that, we just know that that was right. That was the right thing to do. I know this guy, I mean, I, I've met him a couple times. Um, young man who's a pastor, who's kind of a radical. New York City passed a law against feeding homeless people. And so he went into the park with some of his clergy friend, and he ordered 100 cheese pizzas and brought grape soda, and he served communion. And he was arrested for it. He served communion. He wanted to, and he told, he went through the whole thing. He gave a whole communion sermon, gave communion, and the judge told him that what he did was so right that he couldn't punish him for it. Now, when you get pulled over this week, you're not allowed to say, (laughs) my pastor told me I could do this. But I was just looking at the example of Jesus where the religious leaders made these laws and said, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, said, and I just wondered, would we as a church stand up for those who couldn't stand up? Would we as a church speak for those who didn't have a voice? Would we as a church go to get arrested, to do things, to, to, to stand in the way of abuse? Would we as a church do that? Now, I'm not, I, I've got three kids and a wife. I'm not really excited about getting arrested for anything. And, and right, <laughs> right now, I'm not sure there's anything I need to be arrested for. But my point is, would we stand with King? Would we stand with Parks? Would we stand with Susan B. Anthony if that time did come? Where we looked at those laws and said, those those are immoral laws. Would we stand with them? Would we do that? Would would we be so countercultural and stand up for integrity 
stand up for Jesus, that we could do that? I don't know. And so I just want to lay that out as a church, because that's kind of an application to all of this. One, are you looking for the physical when there's a spiritual answer around? And two, would you break these laws that are just totally erroneous so that Jesus' name could be glorified? I'm not asking you all to go out and break laws. Make that clear on the recording again. Don't go and break laws. (laughs) But where people are hurting as a result of that, would you go stand up in their way? The Davises, I'm sure all the time, are in countries where doing the right thing is illegal. Would you do that? Would you stand with these people as Christians and say, the gospel compels me to do this? Today I want to close in prayer and and just invite you to the living water himself. Jesus is standing there as the living water, even as this water is being churned up, and they would have looked at that as the living water. Jesus is standing there as the living water, and we see the contrast of the two, that Jesus is the real living water. Maybe you're here today, and you've never experienced that. You've always gone after the physical. Maybe today's the first day that you want to say, yes, I need to follow Jesus. Maybe some of you, you're you're here and you haven't been in church in a while, and it's just time to to restart. And you go, I've been going after the physical so much, and there's nothing there that fulfills me. I need to go after the spiritual. Maybe some of you are so concerned with these religious laws and stuff that you've missed the whole point of this. I want to invite you back to this today. Let's pray. Father, there's some folks here today who simply need to come to you. God, we've, got, we've all got problems. We've all got issues. And so many times we seek after the physical solutions rather than what you could provide. So, Lord, provide for us. Provide for these folks who are calling out to you today. God, there's some folks today who simply need to come to you today as the source of all living water. Father, would you receive them into your kingdom? Start them brand new. Start fresh. Cleanse them with your living water. And fill them with your spirit. And Father, for for those of us who get really concerned about the nuts and the bolts, and we tend to build up our own laws, but we forget the scriptures, would you forgive us? God, would you forgive us for that? because we tend to build up our own brands of legalism that we don't even intend to ever do, but we tend to do it. And we push our legalism on others. So would you forgive us and help us to walk fresh with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.